Welcome to another episode of Power Move Makers. This series was created with a simple goal in mind, to bring very successful entrepreneurs, high-level executives, or just all-around inspirational people to the table, to have deep-dive conversations with them, not only about their successes, but the journey and the struggles it took for them to get there. I have a very special guest for you guys this week, um, this guy has so many titles, and I'm going to look down because i got to read a few of them. Senior VP and Executive Editor at Large for Black Enterprise Magazine. He is a book author, amateur bodybuilder. He is signed to Damon John's Shark Group Speak as a speaker. Um, he's an award-winning reporter, uh, considered an expert in business, finance, um, economic trends, in entrepreneurship. Please welcome Mr. Alfred Edmund Jr. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Sometimes <laughs> I hear all that stuff. I'm like, who is that dude? And what what does sign me as your hype man? To do all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you need to sign me as your hype man, man. <laughs> <laughs> big time, big time. I appreciate it, bro. I really do. You know something, Alfred? Um, I'd be remiss. I know we spoke about it offline, but we have to um, really take a second before we get into this interview to uh, speak about your mentor, a colleague of yours for so many years and a man who has made uh, an incredible mark, not only on our community as black and brown people, but entrepreneurs overall. We recently lost a giant in the world of entrepreneurship, um, publications, and Mr. Earl Graves Jr. Can you take a second and not only speak about what he meant to you personally, but what he has meant to the world of entrepreneurship? Well, man, it's, it's almost hard to put into words. We could, we could literally probably spend two hours just talking about the impact of Earl Graves Sr. Um, let me start by saying, and I've said this publicly already multiple times um, over the years, he is literally the greatest man I've ever had the pleasure of meeting personally. Now, you know, we're in media. You and I both have met a lot of amazing people. Um, you know, I've met very impressive people. Um, I, I'm a big fan and was an admirer of Ossie Davis. Um, you know, um, I, I, I broke my big first big cover story for Black Enterprise was interviewing the um, late Reginald F. Lewis. You know, so, you know, we, we live in a world, especially in New York, <laughs> where access to celebrity and semi-celebrity and greatness is not that far from us, um, whether we right. do it professionally or not. But even within that context, with all the great people I've met, that I've interviewed, that I've covered, no one has, again, just simply the greatest person that I've, that I've ever known, that I've ever personally known. And because I've been at Black Enterprise in my 33rd year at BE, I've been around him up close and personal, so I could have seen, I could see his failings. And, and, and uh, Reverend Al Sharpton um, said this once, Earl Graves has never embarrassed us. Like, you know, you never worry about Earl Graves disappointing us or embarrassing us. That the way he presents himself and carries himself. And so in many ways, he was a huge, and still is, a huge role model for how I roll, for who I am and how I present myself, how I roll. Um, but then, then let's take the, and also I, I edited his column for 25 years. So I had plenty of just, just me and him time talking about what he thought and how he felt and what he expected of me and what, and what he expected of young people. And so, so 
I was immersed in that for almost three decades. I mean, it's like studying at the feet of Martin Luther King or Gandhi or think of any great person that you admire from afar and then say, what it would be like to just be with them every day and to talk to them every day and have them pour into you every day. Then you look at the broader impact. Like you said, there's at least four generations of black entrepreneurs that wouldn't be doing what they were doing at the level they're doing if it wasn't for the vision of black enterprise. There's at least three generations of black people on Wall Street that will tell you, I wouldn't be on Wall Street. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing as a, as a asset manager or a, a stock broker or whatever that you, because that world did not exist for black people in 1970 when black enterprise was founded. There, there's at least three generations, maybe four generations of corporate executives, including the likes of Ursula Burns, the former CEO of Xerox, and Ken Chenault, the former CEO and chairman of American Express, that will tell you to your face that I would never have aspired to and thought about being going where I've gone into corporate America if it wasn't for a black enterprise. Um, and I'll name two other groups. Um, there are generations of, of kids who are kids back in the day, including my children, who wouldn't pursue their career entrepreneurial success if Mr. G didn't have an on-purpose agenda, we used to have a, tip, a kidpreneur conference and a teenpreneur conference to start teaching kids entrepreneurial principles as early as six years old. You know, my, my, my two young, uh, three younger kids have been getting entrepreneurial business training since they were six to eight years old, who are now using that in their lives. And finally, there was no such thing as black business media, black business journalists, black personal finance reporters, Black entrepreneurial reporters on television, people writing books like Lynette Calfani Cox and Sharon Epperson on CNBC. None, all of those people trace back to the only black business medium outlet out there for the past 50 years, which was Black Enterprise, um, who now people are going on to Forbes and The Fortune and they're going to you know, MSNBC and Bloomberg and all. None of that would have happened, you know. So, I mean, I'll stop it there, but I could, I could go on. I mean, yeah, it really it's almost impossible to we really... We literally have a conversation for two days about this. Absolutely, absolutely. And all you got to do is look at um, the tributes, both on social media, that are still being paid, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people saying, you know, um, I met Mr. G when he spoke at my commencement. Or, what, or forget about that. The other thing was that... You didn't have to be famous or rich or powerful for him to pay attention to you. He made everybody feel. So you got, I'm going to tell you this one story that was emblematic about, of why red caps at airports and um, the UPS delivery guy and loved him. I remember I was going to Chicago, I was in Chicago on business and I checked into a hotel. Um, you know, you get settled in your room, you hang up your stuff so that the wrinkles can fall out. You're just trying to get mm -hmm. settled in before yep. you got to get out to do, do business. And I was a settling and there was a knock on my door. So I go to the door and it's, what it, it's like the hotel, um, the people that had the baggage claim, some dude, like the bell captain, little Indian dude, you know. And he goes, um, I heard you work for Mr. Graves. I heard somebody from Black Enterprise was here. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> he said, well, I didn't mean to disturb you, sir, but um, can you tell Mr. Graves that my daughter is in college and he's, she, you know, She's doing well and thank him for his help and his encouragement. And I just wanted him to know, and I heard somebody that was from within the hotel, please, please send this message. I'm like, what? But that he was that genuine and that, so I'm sure he probably got to a conversation with this dude, found out the girl was trying to get in college, probably wrote a personal letter to help out. That's, 
there are thousands upon thousands of thousands of untold, untold stories of him doing things like that for what some people would consider to be nobodies. Because, you know, some, you and I both know some people will get to a certain stage in life and literally, like, you know, keep the little people away from me. But, but he always saw himself as, you know, again, he, he grew up in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, you know, um, second or first generation, you know, um, Caribbean family in America. So even though he, he, he walked with kings and presidents, he never forgot who he was and he never forgot the people. He always identified with those people. Who, who were who were like him, just trying to get on the come up and making his way and trying and trying to bring as many people as long as he could, um, and and that's the legacy that we we carry on today. Butch, myself, Derek Dingle, who's also spent over thirty years in the company and who's now the chief content officer, we think about what he taught us and we we try to live that legacy and and, and that way he lives on through us. And you're just and you know I said this to you, you're just much part of his legacy as I am. Because we're all manifest. You're, what you're doing right now with me is a manifestation. You're you're interviewing hit people. You're putting them out front. You know that some people people are going to be looking at power move makers. Somebody somebody right now who might be 17 will look at this thing and that might change the course of their life. That could be the next Reggie Lewis. That could be the re next um, uh, Robert Smith or Oprah Winfrey, because they were looking at one level now and then they looked at somebody you profiled. Or, or just listen to your Instagram, your, your own um, wisdom that you shared on your own and say, you know what, Sean Press said this is possible. So I'm going I'm to go, I'm going to go try to do it. That's and right. that's the legacy of Earl Graves to let us know we can do it. We, can, we really can do it because we see other people that look like us doing it too. Now, I can tell you from personal experience, and um, I'm not sure if we had this conversation offline or not, but... And first and foremost, I, I, in, in era, my total apologies. I think I said at the beginning, junior, and I meant senior. Um, so my apologies there. But in my life, uh, I knew from an early age I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But growing up in the South Bronx, there were no role models. There were no successful entrepreneurs that I could reach out, touch, speak to, um, acquire wisdom from, so forth and so on. And Black Enterprise Magazine, was then and now the only magazine that I have ever subscribed to in my entire life. And the reason being is because it presented black and brown people in a way that I had never seen them. Growing up in the South Bronx, seeing these well-established, educated, highly successful black men and women, for me, that magazine was my Bible. I couldn't wait for it to come in month over month. So, you know, just as you're saying, we are the, the, the living embodiment of his legacy. You're absolutely right. Yep. You know, from afar, that magazine touched me and it inspired me. And I was able to look and acquire so much knowledge. And, and you know, I even had the opportunity to meet him once. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't good for me, but it, <laughs> you know, it's, a funny, it's a funny story. Well, I'll tell it a different time, but, uh, you know, it, I, I just have to say he, he has touched more people than he realized. Um, but, you know, you working at the magazine for over 30 years, you're considered a, an expert in the field, a, 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 a master when it comes to entrepreneurship. How many entrepreneurs would you say that you have interviewed or had the opportunity to have deep dive conversations with 
over the years. And I ask you this because much of the audience that watches Power Move Makers are either entrepreneurs themselves or they're aspiring to be entrepreneurs. So I just want to establish credibility, credibility out the gate. Well, I mean, I'm known as the, the success expert on social media in part because I've been a student of success, um, largely because of the decades I spent at Black Enterprise. But even I used to be a senior editor at Modern Black Men magazine, which was a more of a GQ type fashion lifestyle magazine. But again, I interviewed Miles Davis. I did one of the early interviews of Michael Jordan before he blew up for that magazine. I interviewed Spike Lee. Dave Winfield was my first cover story ever in my history, um, as in my career. So, so what I figured out over the decades is that I've been blessed to, like you said, really have deep dive conversations with some of the most successful people, certainly the most successful black people in every arena, in every industry, in a way that most people don't get that kind of access, you know, and, and as a result, and, and, and add to that, I minored in economics in college, never thought I'd use it. But it, when I got the black enterprise, it was perfect. So it shows how kind of God lines you up for stuff. And you don't even know what you're being lined up for. Um, and I became an expert on the banking industry because when I first came to black enterprise, it was during the whole um, um, savings and loan crisis. And I got assigned to understand that. Uh, I learned, learned about leverage buyouts because of the Reginald Lewis story. Now, this is someone I didn't even study journalism in college, much less business. But I got this deep dive education from the people who are doing it, not from a professor in a classroom. But, you know, I interviewed Reginald Lewis. Every interview he did until he passed away, I got the assignment. In fact, he got to a point where he didn't, he didn't want to talk to anybody <laughs> but me because he was used to me, you know. At Black, when Black Enterprise had to do a story. So all of that expertise, personal financial management expertise, entrepreneurial expertise, corporate leadership expertise, I've learned from the best. I learned from Kim Chenault. I learned from, you know, I'm not imagining it. The people who had to do it are telling me, well, this is what you got to do. And this is what you got to, you know, this is what you got to know. And this is what you got to learn. And and, 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 you know, I, I teach a, a, a monthly master class in Newark at Third Space Coworking called uh, Destination Success. And it's the culmination of all of that expertise, all of those experiences, uh, all of those interviews and on stage interviews. I've interviewed um, Don Peoples, the, the commercial real estate magnet twice um, at Black Enterprise events, um, T.D. Jakes. I've done both behind the scenes and on stage interviews about how do you do what you're doing. And then my job as a black enterprise um, editor, journalist, executive is to distill that and then pass it along. You know, I tell people about the miracle of the fish and the loaves in the Bible wouldn't have happened if nobody shared it. You feed, you could feed thousands of people and still not go hungry if you shared the knowledge and share the wisdom. And so all of that has, you know, over the, over the decades, has positioned me to really be a, 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 you know, a resource, a teacher, a, a, you know, expert is almost an overused term, but an expert um, to feed and mentor other people. So, you know, everybody who knows me on social media knows my favorite hashtag is my mentees are better than yours. I got, you know, hundreds now, because I started getting serious about mentorship when I was in my 20s, because I felt like I didn't have enough myself of, of young people who are now 
successful entrepreneurs and executives themselves, who I took what I learned at Black Enterprise and said, you're trying to get that business off the ground? Let me tell you what I learned from Kathy Hughes. Um, you're, trying to, you're trying to do, you're trying to you know, break into the financial services career? Let me tell you what I learned from Bill Lewis at, at, you know, on Wall Street about how to do this. And so I became a vessel to take this expertise and feed it to other people. And so, you know, Mr. Graves used to have a saying that if we weren't telling people how to do it, we weren't doing our jobs. Like, it's not just about showing the big house and showing the big car and showing how people are balling. If you're showing them all that stuff, but you're not showing them how to do it, how are you helping? Correct. You know, and so, so I, I really spent my, you know, my mission when I, look, when I try to connect all the dots of what I do is to teach people how to be successful. And for me, that's four areas. It's business and finance. It's health and fitness. It's mental health, because I'm a big champion of mental health. Yep. And it's relationship health, which me and my wife do through our Grown Zone platform. That if you don't take care of those four pillars, no matter how much money you got, no matter how handsome you are, how beautiful you are, or how banging your body is, or how, you know, what prominent family you came from, if you don't take care of those four things, you're not going to succeed in the long run. And so, so, so I spend most of my time, my goal is to spend all of my time doing something that channels into that, you know, to that expertise. And when I want to, when I want to point to my expertise, I don't point to degrees. And I don't point to books I've written. I point to the people I've mentored, like Gwen Jameer of Naturalicious or Joshua Esnard of The Cut Buddy, or, you know, and I can go on and name others, prominent entrepreneurs who I met when they were on, the, you know, on the earlier path of their journey who took my advice and now, you know, they're more celebrities than I am, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but my thing is, no, I'm feeding what I know to these other people. And my resume is not credentials. It's people. Who, who so are let me ask people. you something, um, Alfred, you have worked with mentored, interviewed, been around some of the most successful entrepreneurs of our time, right? Yes. Talk to me because everybody thinks that, I'm a boss. Everybody thinks, you know, I know more than the person I'm working for and I should go out and start my own business. I'm going to be successful the minute that I incorporate and, you know, put INC behind the company name. Talk to me about some commonalities that you have found in speaking to all of these people across different industries. Like what do they all have in common? So there's a few things. First of all, this idea that somehow you're better than somebody else if you're an entrepreneur and somebody else has a job, I've never heard that come out of the mouth of any entrepreneur, not the successful one. Wow. So you can be truly successful and build wealth and never be an entrepreneur. You can do that. You can, you can do both. I mean, I'm in a stage in my life where I still have my job, quote unquote, my career at Black Enterprise but I'm doing entrepreneurial stuff outside of Black Enterprise. Wealth creation is not about how you make the money. It's about what you do with the money after you make it. That's what wealth creation is about. So you have extremely wealthy people who have never had a, who never had a business. They just managed the money they made in such a way that they acquired assets, accumulated wealth. You know, some of the stuff I teach in my, in my class in Newark. So they don't buy into this idea that because I'm an entrepreneur, you're not, I'm better than you. Mm -hmm. In fact, they don't buy into I'm better than you because I'm rich, because I'm powerful, because I got a big business. It, 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 so what I said about Mr. Graves applies to almost all the really successful people that I've ever interviewed. They don't, they don't 
they don't think like, oh, I'm, I'm better. You know, in fact, and they don't, and it's, it's the other thing. They don't want to be the smartest person in the room. That ain't, they're like, no, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I got the wrong people in the room with me. <laughs> <laughs> My, their gift is being able to say, here's what I know, here's what I don't know. And then here's what I got to accomplish. Here's the mission that I'm serving through my business or through my company. Now, since I can't do it by myself, because either one, I'm only one person, and two, I don't have all the knowledge, my job is to be the visionary. This is definitely what Mr. Graves is. Mr. Graves was ever, didn't, wasn't in publishing. Mr. Graves never knew started a magazine before. He didn't even know what he didn't know. So, but once he made up his mind, okay, this vehicle needs to be created to help black people find their way to business and financial success. He knew what the vision was. Then it was things like, I got to hire people. I got to find people who can get me there, who know what I don't know. I mean, he, he, he used to brag about people like me and Derek because we were, he was like, oh my. his thing was like, I got the smartest people. Man, I got the most brilliant people. I got, you know, because his, his pride was not in being the smartest person in the room. His pride was in being able to attract people, hire people that would buy into his mission that knew things that he didn't know and could do things that he couldn't do. And that was true. That's true for everybody from, you know, Dick Parsons, the former chairman of Time Warner, you know. Here's the thing. When somebody thinks that they got to, like, prove how important they are, what we call B people, B people have to convince you they're A people. Woo! Woo! Preach! Those are the people that's like, don't you know who I am? And I can't talk to you. You got to talk to my secretary and, you know. You, you and I both know we've been around. I said, no, we, we know. you are preaching now, brother. But the truly excellent people, the A people, they don't get, they're like, I know I'm an A person. I don't got, so I'll give you an example. Dick Parsons has been, had been on the cover of Black Enterprise, I think three times, a total of three times. But he was on a, when he was chairman of Time Warner, I mean, just one of the highest ranked, most powerful, think about black people in corporate America, people in corporate America. And we had him on the cover his only request of us was like, because you know, of course they're busy, they only want you to protect their time. So he was like, here's the window I got. If you can get me in and out for this cover, I'll do it. Sean, I've seen people with, who, who have one-tenth the power of him. They got 15, they got an entourage of 15 people. They got a writer. They got a writer, you know, they got, and it's like, who are all these people? <laughs> Dude came in, you wouldn't even know who he was. He came in by himself, came in, took the shot, did everything we asked him to do. It wasn't a whole bunch of pushback and arguing. It was like, I trust you. You're the guys doing the magazine. I it was the smoothest thing. And, and I don't want to make it sound like this corporate America. Shaq, when we had Shaq on the cover, the smoothest thing, the easy, you know, just easy. Um, Nick Cannon, we did a group cover with him, showed up to the shoot. 20 minutes early was just like professional, not like I'm the canon and you wait till I get there. Not, I'm, don't you know I'm Shaq, you do it. No. And all the A people I know that I've experienced through my work at Black Enterprise, and I'm, I'm really connected that dot to the most successful people who want to be entrepreneurs, they know how to treat people. They know how to respect time. They require to be respected, but they don't, they're not, they're not asking you to respect them because they're better than you. They're asking you to respect them because all people should be respected. And so, you know, I, I, it's just a common thread 
yeah, they got business acumen. Yeah, they, you know, people, you people look at these success tips. But a lot of times that's not the thing that makes the difference. It's really having a clear vision of what you want to do. Enough of an ego, because you need ego. Yep. Enough of your ego to have the courage and the confidence to pursue that vision, even with adversity. But not so much ego that you can't team up and collaborate, whether it's with employees, other companies that even that could be competitors. So that, cause it takes, I'll put it the way um, Reverend T.D. Jakes put it when I interviewed him at one of our conferences several years ago. If all you got is your two hands, you can't build anything. You could be the most brilliant person in the world. If the only thing you got for you is your two hands, if you can't get other people to put their hands and their minds and their energy to your vision and you can't make them want to do it because they want to do it, not because you want to do it. Leadership is not about making people <laughs> do anything. And I see so many horrible bosses, entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs, who think, I got the title, I'm paying you, I got the money, you do what I tell you to do. And what happens is you'll get compliance from that, but you won't get excellence from that. You know, and that's something I learned from Mr. G. Mr. G, if we can run we highlight that for one second. I love that. You'll get compliance from that. Yes. But you won't get excellence from that. Whoa. Yeah. Elaborate on that for just a second because I'm going to, it, it, it perfectly segues to where I want to go. Because okay. I want to get into the entrepreneurial mindset. Yes. And, and I know you're an expert in that area. So let's start there. Here's compliance. Compliance is, if you give me a raise, I'll do it. Compliance is, if somebody's going to punish me for coming in late, then I'll come in on time. But if you ain't watching me, I'm going to come in when I can come in. Compliance is, um, and here's the thing about money. I, I learned this lesson when I was a student. My first, I was editor-in-chief of my college paper. And of course, nobody's getting paid. This is all volunteer work. And I learned that money is a minimum requirement. It's not a motivator. Like if, if you, compliance is, I'm gonna do just what I need to do, but no more just to make, just to get the check. Well, that's people that's gonna do, they're gonna be mediocre. They're gonna do the minimum. Like, I'm just trying not to get fired. You know, that's all I'm trying to do. And I'm not doing anything more than that. I'm gonna do the bare minimum. And we know a lot of companies and a lot of industries where the bare minimum, you know, it'll keep the company open, but it ain't gonna get you nowhere. Correct. But that's what I'm saying. Compliance is when you are making people do it. You know, when, if you're, even if you're raising your child, they're only doing it because if they don't do it, you're going to take the PlayStation away. They're not doing it because they really want to do it. They're doing it because you're holding something over. So my thing is, if, you gotta, if you're growing a company, you got 50 employees, how many feet do you got to put on people's necks? You know, but, you know, like, you want to be a game warden? You want to be a sheriff? <laughs> or do you want to be a CEO? You know, so you if all you want is compliance, then, you know, then you got to pressure and push and punish. But if you want excellence, lead, the great entrepreneurs know how to get you to want to do, to reach that goal, to achieve that mission as much as they do. Whether you're in the mailroom making $20,000 a year or you're a vice president making $200,000 a year. The, the leader gets you to say, Man, I may be only in the mailroom, but this is going to get done right because we got to get to that goal. We got to, we got to serve, 
you know, and so the leaders help you understand, first of all, who are the people who already are predisposed to excellence? They're not being, they're not doing their job well because I'm making them do their job well. They're doing their job well because they just like to do their job well. Then how do I position them to win? If this person likes, you know, um, accounting and that's what they're into, they're going to do a good job because that's what they're into it. My job as the leader is to point them toward the goal and say, if you do your accounting as well as you do it, we can reach that goal. That person will, want, will run through walls for you. There you go. That's the difference between making somebody do it and serving their agenda, making sure their agenda aligns with your agenda so they want to do it. They want to do it for themselves. Great leaders get people to want to do, achieve the goal for themselves. You know, and that's when you see these leaders that people like run through walls for. They're, they'll do any, they'll, they don't, they're not looking at the clock to see when it hits five o'clock. They're forgetting it's five o'clock. Oh, wait, it's seven o'clock. That's right. I ain't done yet. I'm not, I can do another half hour because it's got to get done. We got to achieve this goal. And all the great entrepreneurs I've ever met, uh, and, and, and this doesn't mean they have to be extroverted. You know, people have this image of the, like Mr. G was a big personality. But I know some people who are very quiet, extroverted leaders, but who know how to, to, uh, to aspire people to want to achieve a goal, to, 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 and then to give them the materials and the encouragement and the belief in what they do so that everybody gets to where they want to go. Um, one of the lessons I learned when I first got put in charge of people at Black Enterprise that goes to this idea of motivation that I think the best entrepreneurs understand is I, the lesson I learned, I said, Great entrepreneurs, they screen for aptitude, but they hire for attitude. They screen for, for aptitude, aptitude or ability, yep. but they hire for attitude. Meaning, elaborate. You may, let's say you're trying to hire um, a, a, a VP for your business to, to be in, in charge of, of operations. Yeah, you want, if they're going to a good school, and, and they, you know, they got lots of experience and on paper, they look good. But then when you meet them and you find that they got a negative attitude, they don't know how to talk to people, they, they take credit for other people's work, that their attitude is a poisonous attitude, no matter how great their aptitude and their ability might be. The, the, the mistake I made early on was like, I was so blinded by the resume that I would forget about how is, who is this person as a human being? What is their attitude? You know, or, or is this someone that's going to make everybody on the team play better or play worse? Just like in sports. We know a lot of athletes look great on paper. They may even look great in practice, but somehow you put them in the game and everybody else in, in the team is like, well, I don't want to play with this dude. <laughs> you that's know, right. he, you know, he's selfish. He's, he takes credit for other people's work. He undermines me to make himself look good. You know, you know yeah, I, I'm sure you, like so many others, are are, are watching this documentary. Um, it made you, and I'm sorry to cut in, but mm -hmm. you 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 you're, you're going to such a great point that I really need our audience to zone in on. Um, it's the Last Dance. It's about yeah. um, the Michael Jordan story and and their final season. And one of the episodes <clears throat> was talking about the '92 Dream Team. And it's probably the best collection of athletes ever put together. They went and they played in Barcelona, brought home the gold. But to your point, Isaiah Thomas 
was left off of that 92 dream team. And the reason was, and they brought it up to Jordan. He's like, yo, if y'all want to blame it on me, fine. Everybody knows I didn't get along with Isaiah. This guy is arguably one of, if not the best, pure point guard who's ever played the sport of basketball. But he didn't get along with Michael, had problems with Scotty, had problems with Magic, had problems with Bird. And because he had problems with so many individuals who were on that dream team, even though he was accomplished and probably, arguably, the best at his craft, his attitude left him out of history. So it really goes to your exact point that you're trying yeah. to let me, let me add a little, little, first of all, Michael Jordan, one of the quotes that's now being circulated a lot on social media because of the last dance is that, you know, um, talented teams can win games. You know, talent wins games, but teams win championships. Or something. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that you can have a group of talented individuals who, like you say, got all going on, but if they can't play together, if they can't, the sum, the whole has to be greater than the sum of the parts. And I, I mentioned that I interviewed Michael Jordan long before he became the Michael Jordan, the great, the GOAT, you know, um, everybody wants to debate who's the GOAT. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the GOAT to me, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but I interviewed him when he was a frustrated young player dropping 63 points and still losing games. I remember that great playoff game where he dropped 63 points on Boston and still lost. Yep. And he was learning a valuable lesson. I'm, I'm remembering what our conversation back then about no matter how he, he was realizing, and that game was like kind of a turning point as a young athlete for him to realize the fact that I'm a brilliant individual player. And he was still blooming. He was still getting better because remember in college, nobody thought he was going to be what he was. He was like, I, if I drop 63 points and I still can't get past the first round of the second round of the playoffs, what's the point? As great as Michael Jordan was as an athlete and as a basketball player, he didn't start winning until they you can't win a best, you can't win a championship by yourself. Nobody can. It's the reason why LeBron made the choices in his career. It's the reason why Julius Irving only got one ring. It's, and then think of all the great athletes in basketball who never got a ring. Think of Dominique Wilkins. Think yeah. of Carl, you know, Carl Malone. Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley. Allen Iverson. Absolutely. So that's a, the last dance in Michael Jordan's career, and not just him, but everybody in that story, was a perfect example that you could be the most brilliant individual at what you do, but if you can't get, again, people with the right skill sets around you, and then even after you, so getting the right skill sets around you is about the aptitude part that I talked about. But then even if you get that right aptitude around you, then you get to the attitude. And if you can't coalesce together and play well together, you're not going to win. And so when you translate that to entrepreneurship, yeah, you could just get hired people from Harvard B School and, and you know, the top people who on paper and by credentials look like they should be able to build a billion dollar business. But like you said, if you get them together and they can't treat each other right, they don't trust each other, they, 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 they're more about the individual agenda than the team agenda. No, I want the bonus. No, I want that big account. No, I want that, you know, I'm going to undermine you so the boss thinks I deserve that promotion. 
you have a really talented team or really, you know, you have a talented group of people that can't win as a team. Can't win. And, 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 and it means a lot to me because on paper, Sean, there's nothing about my history, my education, my credentials that would have told you that one day I was going to be the an award-winning editor for a national business magazine. On paper, nothing, none of it makes sense. I'm so happy you said that. I'm so happy that you said that because people, okay, you talk about the hiring process, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm happy you said it because there's somebody out there now who has all of the qualifications of a winner except for the mindset and the belief. Yes, yes. Typically, it's because they're looking to their left and to their right, and they see all of these other people who are more accomplished on paper, but they don't have that winning spirit. They don't have that thing inside of them, which will eventually make them into something great. So I'm so happy you pointed that out. Comparison, and this this goes, you know, it applies to entrepreneurship, it really applies to everything. And it's, it, these are seeds plant, planted in us, unfortunately, even as, as, we're, as children, you know. Can, can I ask you another question? Oh, I'm sure. sorry. I didn't realize um, you were still no. going with that point. Go ahead. Well, what I'm saying is that the minute you're told that if, you, if you're not good at something the first time you do it, then you're not supposed to do it. That's a bad thing. It, or you're told you, that you did that, but Sally did it better. And that's plants a seed in your mind. Well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this because I can't do it as well as Sally. Comparison kills more dreams and blunts more potential than anything. And, and the, the blessing that I had growing up is my mother, and I don't know if she was conscious of it or not. I can't remember any time telling my mother I wanted to do something, my mother saying, maybe you can't do that. I mean, she literally believed I could do anything, which made me think, I guess I can, because everything my mother, I mean, I'm a firstborn child, so there was, I'm a mama's boy. And before the rest of the world could start telling me or convincing me of what I couldn't do, she planted enough of a seed that as I got older, I started, you know, now people think I'm crazy, but maybe not really think I'm crazy, but I can literally do anything. I can do what I, it's about what I want to do. It's not about whether I can do it. So that this, this whole seed. Picking up right there, right? You said comparison kills more dreams. Yes. And, 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 And you also said your mother planted the seeds in you that you can do anything. But she lived up to it because everybody tells their kids that. But then, they, but then they say something or a teacher will say something that contradicts that. And, and there were other people in my life who did too, but because I held my mother's opinion above everybody else's, fortunately I didn't get totally destroyed by these other comparisons and these things about what I should or shouldn't be doing. But no matter what, no matter what you, your upbringing was, to your point, anybody listening, today, today, just take the word can't out of your vocabulary. When I raised my children, that was the one four-letter word. Of course, there was a bunch of other ones I didn't want them to use. But they knew the one four-letter word that I didn't want to hear was can't. Tell me you don't want to do it. Tell me you've never done it before. That may be true. Tell me you may never do it, no matter how hard you try. That you, it, maybe it never will happen. But don't tell me it can't, that you can't do it. Because that word can't will kill you. It will kill your dreams. It will it will. It will dictate what you even tried to do there's this there's this little parable that is passed around nobody knows if it's true or not uh, but i'm gonna tell it the way it was told to teach a lesson the, the parable says that if you put some some um 
some fleas into a jar, but leave the, little, leave, leave the lid off, they'll jump out of the jar. But then if you put them in the jar and you put a lid on it, they'll jump and they'll hit the lid. And eventually they realize that there's a lid. Then you could take the lid off and they won't jump any higher than that lid was because they've been trained to obey that limitation even though that limitation is gone. Now, nobody knows that that's really true and I've never put fleas in a jar, but the lesson is that and we do this to children and, and, and to black people and to women, you know, the, you know, the groups that are told, no, you can only go with this so far. And that's not a black thing. And, you know, girls don't do that. And what you're doing, you're putting lids on people's potential and then training them not to go beyond that barrier. So that even when you remove the barrier, nobody, they won't try because they already have it in their head. No, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm a brother from Brooklyn. I'm the brother from the Bronx. I'm, I'm from I'm, I'm a girl. I'm, I'm a I'm, I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm. I got brown eyes, not blue eyes. You know, all those things that society puts around us and says, this, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do this. And I would not be who I am today doing the things that I do, both in my personal life or professional life, if I paid attention to any of that. So I'm always telling people, don't pay attention to that. Decide what you want to do, that you really want to do. And if you really want to do it, who cares how long it takes? That's right. If you really want to do it, you're going to enjoy trying, even if you never get there. And, and if I could circle back to Mr. Graves, and people ask me what it's like to work at Black Enterprise, and it's still true to this day. The reason why we get so much done at Black Enterprise, and we're at our largest, we never had more than 130 people at our company, competing against the Forbes and the Fortunes of the world that may have hundreds of people working on their magazine and doing things, and way more money to work with. When you work for Mr. Graves, the assumption is we can do anything. Then we can get point. We then we can get past wondering if we can do it and start getting into what should we do and what shouldn't we do. We skip a whole step by not getting caught up in. You think we can do it? Yep. No, there's something we can do it. Now let's figure out what's worth doing and what's not worth doing. Not wasting time figuring out whether we can do it. So what applies to the culture of black enterprise is also how I approach my life. I don't spend time wondering if I can do it. I start straight from the assumption, if I want to do it, I can do it. Now let me decide if I really want to do it. Can, can, can I jump in here? Yes. You spoke about a four-letter word that was not allowed to be used in your household, and it is a dream killer. Well, yeah. I want to talk about another four-letter word that I feel kills more dreams than a bullet. F-E-A-R. Fear. You've spoken to hundreds of successful entrepreneurs. How do they deal with fear? Because we all have it. We all have fear. We have fear of putting ourselves out there. We have fear of investing, you know, our life savings in our business. We have, it, it's always fear. But some people have the ability to look fear square in the face and still keep marching on. And others will be sitting on a million or billion dollar idea and do nothing with it. And one day they'll turn on the TV and they'll see their idea advertised and somebody else took it and ran with it. And the only difference was they let fear get the best of them. Well, I shared this on Instagram maybe two weeks ago or reshared it because it's not, again, it's something that I say often. 
eliminating the possibility of failure also eliminates the possibility of success. Like there's no way to eliminate one without eliminating the other. And successful people, successful entrepreneurs in particular, uh, whether, again, whether you're talking about an entrepreneur like Earl Gray, whether you're talking about a basketball player like Michael Jordan, you know, who would talk about, nobody talks about all the, the game-winning shots I missed. Correct. Which are way more than the ones he made. Because you don't remember it. You just, it hurts the night you miss it. <laughs> <laughs> the fans are mad the night you miss it. But they don't remember it. They only remember when you did it. So eliminating the fear of failure, I mean, or eliminating the chance of failure also eliminates the chance of success. Successful people understand that. They understand that it's not always going to work, that it may never work, but they're willing to endure the hurt to get to the, to, to the glory. So let me circle back to fear itself. Fear is a natural, healthy physiological response except it, it was created for life and death situations. Like fear, fear is in us to get us out of danger when we're in danger. So it, 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 it's, it's biologically sound to, to feel fear. The thing is, most of the things we fear now ain't going to kill us. If you get on a stage and make, and make a speech and you bomb, it's not going to kill you. <laughs> If you launch a business and the business goes bankrupt, it's not going to kill you. Most successful, really successful entrepreneurs have gone through several bankruptcies or failed businesses to get to the one that made their fortune. So if, happy you said that. Yeah. So happy you said it. If, if you, um, if you in fact, people should read um, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun, which is the autobiogra autobiography of Reggie Lewis. So that even though he's known for the TLC Beatrice deal, the, the, the near billion dollar leverage buyout that, that made him a legend, that book goes through all of the failed deals that he had to get to to get to this other deal that made him a legend. So it's not that you shouldn't feel fear. It's that you should recognize that the first question I ask myself when I'm afraid, because it's not like I'm never afraid, is, is it going to kill me? If it doesn't work out, am I going to die? If it doesn't work out, is one of my kids going to die? If it doesn't work out, is my wife going to die? Or is it just going to be, I lost money or I was embarrassed, I was disappointed? And what's happening now, we, we equate disappointment <laughs> with, with fear. But fear is life or death. So what's the common thread that I would say to successful entrepreneurs about how they view fear? And this is something that um, either I told my wife or my wife told me, Zara Green. The same physiological response you have to fear is the same physiological response you have when you're excited. Really? Sweaty palms, heart starts beating fast, stomach tied up in knots. It's the exact same physiological response. So what I, what I do now is I don't interpret my fear as fear. I, I, I uh, interpret it as excitement. Like if I'm about to try a new project, like when I started my class and the first, you know, the, my first class at Newark was in yep. June, but my original launch was April and only two people registered. And I was like, oh, Fear would have said, this ain't going to work, man. Forget that. Don't do it. You, oh, I look at as, can I highlight that for a second? Oh, I'm so happy you, you, you're pointing these little things out. I was going to talk about your master's class a little later in the interview. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it now because you just went somewhere that's so great. Yeah, well, I, it was an idea. I, it was the middle of the night. I woke up and told Dara, listen, I want to teach. Mm -hmm. And instead of waiting for me to invite somebody to invite me to teach, I'm just going to teach. I'm going to find a place to teach. And... Set it up in April. We put all kinds of social media promotion around it. 
and two people registered. And I was like, okay, let me just give them their money back. Fear would have said, this ain't, this ain't, I'm not doing this again. This is embarrassing. They don't care about me. Nobody wants to hear what I got to say. Excitement says, the same excitement that made me wake up in the middle of the night to say I wanted to do this. I was like, no, I'm going to do this and I'm just going to do this. And if only two people register, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to keep doing it. And the doing it makes it happen. But so my point about fear and anxiety in entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs take fear, meaning that means I must really care about this. This must really be important to me if I'm afraid of how I feel if it won't work. So if it's that important to me, I'm going to do it even though I'm afraid. That's how I always tell people, well, how, how, much, how badly do you want this? Because if, if you didn't feel fear, you, that means you don't care. I take fear as a positive sign. This must be important to me. If it's that important to me, I'm going to walk through this fire. Because if I didn't feel fear, that means I probably shouldn't be doing it. I, 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 a lot of people, you know, usually people say the top fear, people fear public speaking more than they fear death. And people see me, I, I, you know, I, I teach, I lecture, I do keynote speeches around the country. As you mentioned, I'm represented by Shark Speakers. I've been public speaking since I was a college student at rallies. And people are, oh, and I, and, and I tell them every day, every time I give a speech, I got to like pray because I'm so scared before I do it. Oh, man, we've seen you on CNN. You've spoken to these large audiences. What do you mean you're afraid? I tell people, the day I'm not afraid before I make a speech, I'm going to stop making speeches because that means I must not care anymore. I'm not afraid because I, I can't do it. Going, oh, such yeah. great gems you're dropping. Yeah, I'm not afraid because I don't think I can do it. I'm afraid that if I, what will happen if I do it poorly and what, how it will affect the people I'm trying to serve. So I told you, it's not that you should pretend you're not afraid or embrace the fear and use that as energy to make you more focused. Because that's what fear is meant to do. When you, when you become afraid in life with that situation, your, your pupils dilate, all your blood rushes to your muscles. That's why you get flushed because it's a fight or flight response. You're like, I got to do something to save my life. I either got to run or I got to fight. Except for when you're afraid to make a speech, you're afraid to start a business. <laughs> it's not really a you're not literally going to die, you know, if the business doesn't work. So the thing is, take that energy, what I do, and, I, and the entrepreneurs and successful people I know do, is they take that feeling. They don't run away from it. They don't pretend it's not there. They take that energy and they channel it. Okay, I use my fear to double check my presentation. I'm going to use my fear to, to look at my, my numbers. I'm going to use my fear to try to just do everything I can that's within my control to make this go well. And more importantly, I'm going to use my fear to give me the extra strength and energy to take my shot. Like Michael Jordan was just as afraid when he took the shot as he would have been afraid if he had passed the ball off. Both of them take the same amount of energy, right? And both of them could be legitimate decisions. Whether he passed the ball or shot the ball, it takes the same amount of energy. Successfully people say, I got a choice to how I'm going to use this energy, the energy of my fear, and I'm going to use my energy to take my shot. That's, all, that's the only difference. Use the energy to take your shot. And then the other things entrepreneurs realize, and I'm going to use, instead of using uh, basketball, I'm going to use football. The most courageous people on a football field is the defensive back. They know no matter how good they are, sooner or later they're going to get toasted. Correct. It's a no-win <laughs> position. <laughs> You're going to get toasted. 
You're going to get posterized. It's going to happen. There's no, especially the way football is, is you know, they, they, want, they want people to score points. So they set up all these rules. You can't bump them. You, got, you can't touch them. You can't drag them. You can't pull them. It's designed so that receivers sooner or later are going to catch the ball. You can't touch the quarterback practically. I mean, I think it's true. You got to do that for quarterback safety. But they've set it up so that if you play defensive back, sooner or later you're going to get toasted. What is the number one quality that people will tell you of a defensive back? They forget it. They get toasted, they forget it. It's like it never happened. Because if they focus on what could go wrong, they can't play their position. They have fear. Nobody wants to get toasted on national television. Just like nobody wants their business to fail. Nobody wants to have a webinar and nobody show up. Nobody wants to um, you know, launch a product and the product bombs. Fear is all around us. The only difference between the winners and the losers is the winners say, yeah, it could happen, but I'm going to do it anyway. I love it. I and then when I do it, I'm going to try to figure out what happened. Because all the great, whether you're talking about sports or business, they don't just, they forget the failure, but they never forget the lessons of the failure. So getting back the next day and studying film and watching this person toast you 20 times might keep you from getting toasted the next time. And great entrepreneurs don't just fail and then just forget it. They go back and they explore the failure. Okay, what did I get out of this? What did I learn out of this? And because that could be the key to the next big business idea, the next big win. Nobody's successful all the time. Nobody. None of these entrepreneurs that we're celebrating, none of the people that you've met, none of the people I've met, just win, 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 win. They lost more than they won. Um, I just did this thing on Kanye because now that Forbes says he's a billionaire and everybody's like, see, we thought he was crazy, but he's a genius. People can see that post at blackenterprise.com now. I, I just wrote it like two weeks ago. He's, he, even if he's crazy or even if he is a genius, it has nothing to do with his success. Kanye's singular most strength from an entrepreneurial standpoint is the strength that all great entrepreneurs have. The willingness to keep going. The willingness to go through a hundred bad ideas to get to the good one. To not stop because it didn't work. To not stop because I look like a fool. To not stop because people think I'm crazy. To, just to say, you know what, that ain't work. But I'm gonna try this. 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 And what happens is you can go through a thousand failures that nobody will ever remember. And that one success and people will think you were a genius all along. That's right. That is so right. You are so, so right. Now, I actually just read that article. Yeah. So fear, you got to take fear out of the equation. It's there to keep your, save your life. So it's, it's a healthy response. But if your life is not really, you know, did you die? Did you die? Well, if you ain't going to die, then try it. Got another question for you. Just in the interest of time here, I want to squeeze as much in as I possibly can. I want to give our audience as much information as I possibly can while I have you here um, on the line. Yes. In terms of mindset of successful people, whether it be entrepreneurs or not, speak to me about the difference between chasing opportunities versus following your purpose. And I find that there's a, 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 a common mistake that I see people making again and again and again, and maybe you see it differently, but people look at how much money I could make with this opportunity, 
as opposed to looking within and saying, this is my life purpose. I might not know how I'm going to make the money or how much money I'll make, but I know that this is the path that I need to be on. And more times than not, that's when the money comes. People who chase money don't make money. That's the bottom line. Simple as that. Yeah. I mean, all the great, I mean, I, and, I, and I know you said across all professions and all arenas, but I'm going to stick with entrepreneurs. Talk to every great entrepreneur and tell them what their mission was when they started. None of them said, I'm, I wanted to make money. Mr. Gray's wanted, like, I need to create a vehicle that turned into a magazine, but it's a vehicle so that black people could get access to funding and information to grow their businesses. That's what he was trying to do. He was a real estate agent when he started Black Enterprise. He was a former narcotics agent. He was the police force. He was originally worked for Robert Kennedy when Kennedy got assassinated. In his mind back in the day, he was going to end up probably working in the federal government, you know, as a political um, person, appointee. He didn't say, I'm starting this magazine so I can make a lot of money. <laughs> he was like, no, I'm starting this magazine because there's this group of black people, entrepreneurs and people who want to succeed in business and they don't have any way to, to get the information they need. I'm going to give them that information. It's mission always comes first. Purpose always comes first. Then if you do your purpose well, if you make money, which and there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money, by the way. I'm not saying money is not important. I'm saying if you serve your purpose well enough, then what happens is money starts chasing you. You don't have to chase it. Really? If you're meeting a need, if you're serving a purpose, Mr. Gray created a vehicle that served the purpose. Advertisers, he was able to get advertisers to come on. He was able to get people that to work for him to come on. But they didn't come on. They came on because this mission attracted resources, attracted money, attracted supporters, attracted clients, attracted customers. So you need to have a clear mission about what you want to do. Here's the other thing about the importance of a clear mission. If the mission and purpose is real, you'll be fine if you never make a lot of money. Because it's about serving your purpose. So you may make a lot of money, but if you don't, or you don't make it as much as you thought you were, you're not keeping score <laughs> based on that. There are many people who are truly successful serving their purpose, but they do something else to make a living. Nothing wrong with that. But, but they're happy, which is the ultimate wealth, because they're serving their purpose. And, but when you do it the other way around, it almost never works. First of all, when you're chasing money, you're not chasing excellence. And you can't be excellent without purpose. That's why the, if there's a company, if there's an industry with 10 companies, usually only two or three, only two, two or three companies on top of the industry. The rest of them are in there, but they're not relevant. They can make enough money to stay alive, but they can't grow and they can't dominate. Think of, let's take it back to professional athletes. How many people play professional level basketball? Now, how many can you name? There you go. On a given team, most people can only name maybe, unless you're like a super fan. But if on any given team, you can most, the average person can name three people on the team. The average person, especially if they're not a cha current championship team. I mean, this is a funny story I would tell. I know a dude, it's really horrible, who used to go to the um, NBA All-Star game with, you know, it was like a convention of women trying to, you know, <laughs> catch a baller. <laughs> and he... And he was like, you know, he, the dude was like 6'9". And he would go and 
say that he was a member of a, of a team that nobody knew. Now, think about when, back when the Clippers, not the Clippers today, when back when the Clippers wasn't really a, Correct. He would say he played for the Clippers. The average woman, they didn't know. You, you tall, you at the NBA thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he would get all these women. Didn't play basketball at all, man. So it's my point that when you're pursuing purpose, you can excel at what you're doing. If you excel at what you're doing, then money and resources and attention and publicity comes to you. I mean, the people are pitching themselves a black enterprise. I'm like, we're not your PR arm. You can hire a publicist for that. It's not my job to blow your business up. It's your job to have your business blowing up and convince me we need to report on that. It's not your job, my job, your job, my job to blow your business up. So if you're doing what you're supposed to do, if you really got it like that, if you're really pushing it and you're balling, you're pursuing your purpose, you're going to get attention whether you want it or not. So don't chase attention. Don't chase fame. Don't chase money. Do what you say this is this thing you're trying to do and do it well and excel at it and all that stuff comes with you. But in the time we got left, here's the other thing that, I, that entrepreneurs do that drive me crazy. They don't want to be students of their own profession. Explain. I, I said this at a conference. I spoke at um, Traffic Sales and Profits. It was a, a business conference by my good friend Lamar Tyler. And I said, anybody can be the best basketball player in their own driveway. If, but you're not in the league. If you're not in the league, I don't care how good you are in your driveway. How that translates to entrepreneurship, I'll take somebody who's in, who says they want to be a fa- in the fashion business, which you know a little bit about as well. Maybe they do got some design skills. Maybe they do got a sense of style. But they don't go to fashion industry conventions. They don't join fashion industry associations. They don't network with other people in the business. They don't want to go. They just want to sit at their table in their house and design clothes. And they wonder why they can't get their business off the ground. You're not in the league. You're not in the league. You, gotta, you can't learn. You can't attract resources. You can't attract investment. You can't attract partners. You can't attract customers. Because you over here in your little thing designing dresses or designing shoes or whatever you're doing, but you're not going to, I don't know if they even still have it, you're not going to the magic conference in Vegas. You're not, you're not joining the industry association for your profession. And then you wonder why you can't find connections, you can't find money, you can't find customers, you're trying to solve problems on your own that a thousand people already solved already. And if you just met them and talked to them, they tell you they've solved that problem. A big part of my mentoring people is just connecting them with other people who have the answers that they're looking for. Because I'm not an expert on hair care, but I know enough other experts to say, here's somebody I can connect you with to help you solve that problem. So when I meet entrepreneurs and they tell me, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a natural hair care. I make natural hair care products. I want to know how to grow my business. And I'm like, well, how many other natural hair care producers do you know? I don't know any of them. Why? Why don't you know? You're part of an industry. You're part of a profession. You got a network. You got it. And so you being great in your own backyard or in your own little town, your businesses are going to grow so much. So get out of your driveway and get into the league, which is whatever your profession is. You and I both know great basketball players that are that only are known as legends on the playground in their hood. That's right. And they literally are better <laughs> than many NBA players. But the NBA players got into a system from high school to college to get into the league. So even if they're the eighth man on the bench, they're in the league. You on the playground playing for free or trying to win, win some money on a bet, 
they're on the bench picking up, you know, a quarter million dollars a year, whatever the minimum salary is in the NBA, because they're in the league. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're saying this is the business you're in, you can't just say I'm in this business. You got to say I'm in this industry. And then you got to engage in that industry so that you can find a space in that industry to get the money, to get the resources, to get the connections, to grow. And by the way, if other people see your work, they refer business to you. In the time we got left, I want to talk about your book. And I love your book because it addresses uh, an area of success that's needed, but it's not often talked about. It's not often um, put out there in a way that, that, you know, let me just give the title of the book, Loving in the Grown Zone. Yeah. Great title, by the way. Far too often, people have big dreams. They want to start businesses. They want to rise um, up in their careers. But their partner, they're just not on the same page. And you find yourself having to make a decision. You know, do I chase my life's destiny? Or, you know, the person who lays next to me every night, do I do what she or he wants me to do? Yeah, many of us How are sleeping. to fruition for you? And just talk to me about relationships and business. Well, as I said earlier, my, my four passions are physical fitness, mental fitness and health, financial business and financial fitness and health, and relationship fitness and health. And whenever I mention that fourth one, most people are like, huh? Um, no one's more surprised than I am that my first book, written um, co-authored with my wife, Sarah Green, was focused on relationships. It's a great book. It could have been a startup book. It could have been all that stuff. But here's what I found out both from observation and from personal experience. When, usually when a business collapses for no apparent reason, when a career is derailed for no apparent reason, or a fortune is lost for no apparent reason, it has nothing to do with business, career, or financial decision-making. It is almost always a relationship breakdown somewhere. Like you said, somebody chose to partner with the wrong person or someone, someone, or someone conducts their relationships in such a messy way that it undermines their ability to make money and build the business and focus on the business. Um, I have a, e a free ebook that I've been giving out for maybe two years. Uh, people that want to get it, if you go to grownzone.com forward slash buy love, get trouble, you can download this free ebook. Um, and it's all about this focus. And in the book, I talk about two people that I know. I only mention one of them. This is one dude I know who's an entrepreneur who can't get his business to grow past a certain point but because, because between child support and a personal harassment settlement that he's making, he can't pour money into the business <laughs> the way he should because his finances are being drained because he thought he should be a player. He thought CEO meant, I gotta, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a player. And he didn't recognize how his relationship choices could undermine his financial and business capacity. So loving in the grown zone is a, is literally a, what we call a driver's manual. Um, and it's not just for entrepreneurs, but I push it on entrepreneurs and people want to be successful for people to understand that financial and business success is also tied to your relationship choices. And you or you might want to compartmentalize and say, I'm going to be this way over here and be that way over here. But my thing is how many lessons we got to see, how many, how many times do we got to see a politician have to resign his position. How many times you got to see a, a CEO, you know, and this is even before the Me Too movement, have to leave his position 
because of some messiness. How many times? How many? How many times we got to see this in our face before we accept that the decisions you make that are technically private decisions behind closed doors has broad implications. Who you marry has broad implications. Who you procreate with has broad implications. Who you date has broad implications. Procreation, cohabitation, and marriage are financial decisions. That's why you gotta go to court to get out of a marriage. And I've been, I've been divorced twice, not to church. I don't care how glory and preaching and swearing on the Bible in the church when you get married, when it's time to get out of it, it's a business and financial, con- marriage itself is a financial contract. It's a financial contract. You don't have to go to church to get married, but you gotta go to the state house. You gotta go to some government. You know what I'm saying? It's a financial contract. And mar- a marriage license is the only contract we sign without negotiating the terms in advance. Whew. I, and I, I've done, I, I mean, I'm married three times, but I've done it twice. My current marriage was the first marriage where we thought about, okay, what do we want this marriage to look like? And how is it going to operate? So, so loving in the grown zone, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you gave me a chance to even talk about this. This is not how to get a man or how to get a woman or, you know, matchmaking and married at first sight and love. It's not any of that. It's like, okay, we all need love. We all want relationships. All that is healthy and good. Sex is the natural drive. All that is healthy and good. How do you approach your decision-making in life in such a way that you can pursue those goals, relationships, love, and sex, without destroying, in this case, your business or your career, and in most cases, literally your life? Um, so we told people you needed a driver's manual to learn how to drive safely. Loving in the grown zone is your lover's manual to learn how to love safely and to get what we all want. We want a safe, healthy, loving, stable relationship. Everybody wants that because it's just healthy for us. We don't want, if you come home at the end of the day, and this is actually mentioned in the book, we use this as a measure of whether you're in a healthy relationship or not. How do you feel if you're home at the end of the day and your partner comes home and you hear that doorknob turning or you hear the car pulling into the driveway? Are you happy? Are you are you anxious? Or the other Go way around? Ahead, Alfred. Go hey. ahead, Alfred. Tell you, I've been there. <laughs> How did, when you're coming home at the end of the day and the work, are you like, I can't wait to get home? Or are you like, man, I need to stop at the bar and get I a drink? I guarantee you, so many people who are either going to listen to this in podcast form or who are going to be watching this video, when you said what you just said, hairs are going to stand up on them. Oh, yeah. It's a reality check. Um, and, and, and I'll speak for myself, and this goes back to the business and professional part. There are some entrepreneurs and some hardworking professionals, they're, they're not putting in extra hours because they're workaholics. They're putting in extra hours because they're allergic to going home. <laughs> and work is a legitimate reason to not go home. You know, and again, I used to be one of those people. Now, I, you know, I love my work, so I don't want to be excited. But now I can look back and realize that when I was unhappy in my marriages, a good legitimate reason to not go home would be to say, let me just do this one more thing before I leave the office. Oh, we got to close the magazine. I mean, they could do it without me, but I'm the editor. I should stay with them. And, and so loving in the grown zone is about how do you navigate your way to relationships that you actually want to be in because they're good for you 
not have to be in because you need the, the devil income or you got kids or, or your church would frown on you if you divorced or all those other reasons why people get and stay married and, and are dysfunctional, unhealthy situations. And they think they're not paying a price. But to your point about entrepreneurship, you can't run and grow a successful business if you're not happy, if you can't, if you're under stress and pressure and anxiety. Uh, an, another person that I know, I, we always never use names because some of these are our private clients. One of our private clients, a very successful um, financial manager, very successful. If I dropped her name, people in her state would know who she is. Could not grow her business because she, she was married to an a, a abusive husband that was so sure that she was cheating when she was going to meet her clients that she, he wouldn't let her go but so far away from their location to grow business. She couldn't grow her business until they got divorced. And she only got divorced because he nearly killed her. Wow. So people don't think about that. They, when we go to conferences and events, you know, we, we, we got our we're suited and zooted and we got our designer suits and we got our nails done and hair did. And we present because we're presenting our business, presenting our brand. But some people are going home to hell. That's right. You know, this, this coronavirus, people are finding out, you know, <laughs> some, some people are stuck at home and some of us are safe at home. <laughs> where, where can people find this book? Um, it, it, you can get it anywhere. You can go to love, lovingintheground.com, but it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. You can get it anywhere. Um, and uh, we love it when you go get it from balboapress.com because obviously that's the direct. We get more of the cut. But, you know, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, any bookstore will order it for you if they don't have it in the bookstore. Um, it's still selling really, really well. Um, it's, in fact, it's selling more now than it did when we first launched it. And, and I'm, we're, we're very, very proud of the book. Um, the other book I mentioned, Buy Love, Get Trouble, is, it's sooner or later is going to be released as a hard copy. I keep saying I'm going to do it. The coronavirus has kind of delayed that. And, and my wife's next book, um, it's called Living in Harmony or Living by Design, is also about to drop in June. So if you go to GrownZone.com or you follow GrownZone across social media, or me, Alfred Edmund Jr. or Zara Green. Yeah, where, 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 where can people that. find you directly? Alfred Edmund Jr. on all platforms. A-L-F-R-E-D, E-D-M-O-N-D-J-R on all platforms. I'm easy to find. And you know I love social media. I'm on there all the time. And last question for you. If people wanted to attend your monthly master's class and they live in the greater New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, how can they get information on your monthly master's class? Um, probably email me, uh, and I can add them to the list at um, alfred at grownzone.com. Alfred at grownzone.com. Yep. We'll make sure we push it through our platform. Alfred, if you follow me on social media, you'll, you'll, you'll get information because I share all that across the platforms as well. Alfred, you have been an amazing guest and you are a true power move maker. Thank you so much for being part of our series and um, you're welcome. The door's open to you anytime. I, I, I loved everything that you had to give. Well, I can't wait to come back. I love this platform. I mean, when you first launched it, I was cheerleading, man. Yes, like, you were. You're doing your thing. Um, we're, we're, this, we're all doing the same thing. We're going to spread the success and, and make it happen. So I really appreciate you, Sean. I appreciated you from afar even long before we met face to face. And now that I get, you know, know you personally and see what you're doing, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be a guest on, on your series and I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much. Tell your wife Zara I say hello. Will do, bro. You be well, brother. Yep, you too.
What's up guys? Thanks for sticking with me to the end of the video. Truly appreciate you. If you like anything you heard here today, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you know anybody that can benefit from this message, feel free to share. Peace and love.